0: Good morning, Team Vineyard. Good morning, Team Vineyard. Good morning, Team Worship. Could we have you up here, please? Thank you, thank you. I am super happy to see a few people here. I was a little concerned that maybe everybody would be staying home for the little, the little G. Uh... Welcome. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would guide us, that you would help us, Father, to come before you, to lay our stuff down, to come to you with open hearts and open minds of what you want to speak to us, what you want to prepare us for. Lord, we just want to worship you. We just want to worship you. Help us, Lord, to remember, remember that. We want to see you. We want to walk with you. We want you to know how much we love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to stand if you like. We will get started with some worship. It's going to be a special morning today. Not because we're up here, but because what <laughs> follows. <laughs> well, yes, because the Lord's here too. <laughs> Un momento, por favor. I gotta clean my glasses. Wearing masks, I don't know if this is this way for anybody else who wears glasses, but I swear my glasses just get so much worse.
1: Yeah, at the bottom. Oh yeah,
0: everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so I'm just stalling just for you, Richard. (laughs) Really, no, you're good. You're good. Okay, you see, hi Debbie. How are you? Good. Good. It's all good. Anybody got a good joke? Jesus walked into the bar
2: with his 12 disciples and ordered 12
0: waters. Did you guys hear that? (laughs) Jesus walked into the bar with his 12 disciples and he ordered 12 glasses of water and he winked at his disciples. Feel free to stand if you like.
1: Lift up your gaze, we lift it up. Tell everyone how great the love, the love come down. Back to verse
0: one. us to give it all. Help us, Lord, to see the things that we're holding on to and to really give it all. To lay it at your feet. To trust you with it. I just want you to imagine in the space that you're in, I want you to use your God-given imagination and picture Jesus with you. Picture yourself with Jesus. and see with your eyes what he's doing, how he's looking. If that doesn't come easy for you, To be with him, see him in your space. Let's do this one one more time.
1: i For me to not believe, either when my eyes can see, this mountain that's in front
0: thank you that in, midst, in the midst of the storms, in the midst of the hard places, in the midst of the places where sometimes we can feel stuck, that you are with us, that you will lead us, that you comfort us. Thank you for all that you are. Amen. Feel free to take a seat.
2: Um, I feel like we're just supposed to stay in this space for a moment. So I want to preface this with, this isn't for any one specific person. Um, God brought it to my mind, though, and so I'm certain I'm supposed to share it because I haven't thought about it for a long time. Um, After Mother Teresa died, they released her writings that she wrote to her confessor. She had someone who would... Um, pray for her, and who was her spiritual mentor he was it was a priest and she would um, kind of send him her her deepest thoughts and her struggles and her things she was wrestling with and she came to this point Mother Teresa came to this point in her life where she was really questioning God on a super deep level and she would write out her prayers. and one of the, In one of the prayers she wrote out, and it's probably something that will stick with me forever, she wrote out, Oh Jesus of the Sacred Heart, how is it that I have become your most hated one? Mother Teresa, who we all know and have heard about, had to this place where she felt like she was so broken, she was so that her heart was so ugly that God hated her. Um, And I think we've all had times and spaces in our life where we just feel ugly inside. And where we just feel broken inside and where we just feel like how could God or anyone else even want to be around me? She continued on in her prayer. However, my beloved one, my Jesus to whom I've given my life, I trust you. And I do know that you love me. And I do know that you have good for me. And I do know that you care for me, even though I feel so ugly inside. And as we were singing this, it is well. God brought that prayer of Mother Teresa or that confession that she gave of how she felt. And... Sometimes even in our hardest, most difficult places, somehow God can still shine his light down on us. Um, There's one where I I remember Corey Ten Boom, she said that there's no hole so deep that God's love can't reach the bottom of it. There's no hole so deep that God's love can't reach the bottom of it. And that is where it can be well with our soul. Even in the midst of the hardest struggles and and pain and heartache. And so I'm speaking hope to some of you this morning. I want to speak hope to some of you. You're wrestling with some things. You're struggling with some things. There's There's a deep pain in your heart as you come to church this morning. And God wants you to know that he sees you. That he loves you that you're surrounded by people who see you and that love you and that there is hope and you are not alone you're not alone god sees you and he cares for you lord would you heal us would you heal us lord Lord, when we look around and we feel that stirring of despair, Jesus, would you meet us in that place and hold us, and hold us tight. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knew pain, who knew heartache, who cried, who suffered through anxiety and depression yourself. And so you get us. You're not some cold stone or wooden God who has deaf ears and cannot see. But you are a God who sees. You are a God who hears. And you are a God who is love. And so, Lord, right now, just even in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask, would you send your love to us? Would you stir your Holy Spirit in our hearts right in this moment, Lord God? And meet us where we are. And give us hope this morning, Jesus. Because you are a God of hope. And you are a God of restoration. And you are a God of redemption. And you are a God who leads us out of those dark places and into your light. So we thank you for the hope that we can find in you, Jesus. Amen. promised Kelly I wasn't wanting to start to preach. <laughs> Just God was doing something and I had to push into that. Um, I'm, we're going to take a real quick break. I would love it if you guys could all please stand up and introduce yourselves to each other. So please stand up. Go ahead and stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Go say hi to somebody especially if it's somebody you've not met before. Go say hi to them. Tell them good morning. We're going to kind of get the, the tech stuff working here. Yeah, it's okay.
3: Okay. Okay. I'm on? Okay. Okay. Okay.
2: Okay. Okay, if I could please have everyone wander back to your seats, I would appreciate it. We have special treats this month. We get to hear from some folks in our church, kind of about their story with Jesus. Um, this morning is my friend Kelly. She's amazing and awesome for those of you who don't know her. And so we're, I'm going to pray for her real quick, and then I'm going to just hand things over to her. So let's pray. Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you for my friend Kelly. Lord, I ask right now, would your Holy Spirit just infuse her from the top of her head down to her toes, Lord God? Lord, would you um, just kind of step in and in all of those places this morning where she might be feeling nervous or anticipation or areas where she has a, a thought of concern, Lord, I just speak your peace over her in the name mm. of Jesus. Mm. Holy Spirit, would you show up in all of those places where she feels like she lacks mm. and let her know that in You knew she is whole and she is complete and she is perfect and she is worthy and that her story is important and it's one that um, people should hear, Lord God. Mm. So, Lord, I thank you for her courage I thank you for her strength, Lord God, and Lord, I just speak a blessing over her in the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Thank you.
3: Hey guys, so just in case you don't know me or Trey, I mean, I think I know everybody here, but we have the three little girls that are always trying to get on stage, (laughs) Vivian, Evelyn, and Annalise. Um. If you want to go give Annalisa a high-five, I think today it's the pound it, so, you know. Um, so, I was established in 1981. Um, my parents, right here, were ten years into their marriage when I was born. My brother was already in kindergarten, and my little sister would show up two years later. That's me. You couldn't tell. Um... Their first 10 years were filled with dozens of trips to Guadalajara, Mexico, while my dad was in med school, and then filled with long hours while my dad was away doing double residencies to bring his degree stateside. Then he started a medical practice. And uh, they worked as a team while my dad went through medical school, but there were long hours, and there was a lot of long-sustained hope. Let's just put it that way. Um, My mom uh, led me through the prayer of acceptance one night when I was like four or five, and I remember praying with her, and then the next morning, I jumped out of bed, and I got dressed, and I came downstairs, and my mom looked at me like I was crazy, and I looked back at her like she was crazy, and she was like, what's wrong? What happened? And I was like, don't you know? I accepted Jesus in my heart. (laughs) Like, this is what it looks like. Um, I was very action-oriented even then, (laughs) yeah, my nickname was Punky Brewster. When I was six, my family moved to Washington at my mom's insistence. Uh, She was worried about my brother. He was 11 and already making poor decisions. I think one of his escapades included stealing a stop sign. My dad sold his practice and our home and my parents made a tidy sum on both of them. Um, We moved to Kirkland before Microsoft took off and hope prices were still reasonable. That's us. It's one of the last pictures I have as of us as a happy family. Um, I think it was maybe my mom's birthday. Can't quite remember, but that's my, yeah. My brother John behind me, my sister Katie next to me. Um, moving to Washington was supposed to be a restart for our family. My dad had to work those long hours down in California, but now he could reset his schedule, he could be more present at home, and um, we all had hopes that that would happen, but it didn't. Um, He decided to build a medical practice, um, and he and my mom were just not on the same page about it. And then my mom received a letter from a woman in California who claimed to be my dad's mistress. So um, that restart didn't happen. Um, and I didn't know any of these things until I was older, but what I experienced as an eight-year-old were two parents that increasingly wanted to be anywhere but with each other. Um, I saw my mom in bed when my sister and I left for school, and she was still there when I got home. Um, I saw my mom put on 100 pounds in a year. Um, I experienced my father puzzling aloud at her depression, um, never once owning his part in it. Um, he gave himself every excuse to be out of our home. He was the savior. He was a doctor. His time was so much more important when it was spent with other people. Um, he'd leave for work at 4.30 in the morning and return close to midnight, all to avoid my mom, and which inadvertently caused him to avoid us. <sighs> so that's my beautiful home <laughs> that I grew up in. That's the one they bought in Kirkland. Um... Our home was in the street of dreams, but inside it was filled with so much tension. My sister and I learned how to be invisible because we never knew what would happen if we were seen. Uh, We ride the rails between abuse, neglect, and occasional overcompensation. Um, I responded to the stress by becoming severely independent and detached. I just repudiated my mom and any of her parental authority she threw my way. I just saw it as a way to manipulate and control me. I just wanted nothing to do with her. My little sister, oh, this still makes me cry, <laughs> responded to this dress by pulling her hair out. I remember one afternoon going up the stairs and looking down and seeing the top of Katie's scalp. There just wasn't any hair there and nobody had noticed. <laughs> like there was, yeah, yeah, I just can't imagine as a parent, um, I remember one night a barn caught fire in our neighborhood, and my dad wanted to go see it, and so I went with him. Um, I just clung to any scrap of time that I could have with him, and as he walked, as we walked over there, he shared his plans to divorce my mom. I was only 12, um, and I remember quietly listening and trying to be more adult than I was. Um, he didn't file for another two years. Um, so I was 15 when I was invited to my friend's 16th birthday party. Um, my mom, and I, I wasn't the kid that was invited to a lot of parties, so this mattered to me. I was a book nerd. I, I, just, I just was. <laughs> um, my mom would often agree to do things, and then she'd bail last minute, and she tried to do that with this party. Um, but I really wanted to go, so I pushed back. Um, she asked me repeatedly if I had a ride home, to which I responded, yes, of course, the p- girl's parents are driving us home. It was all arranged. Um, but she kept, you know, like we got to the party. She asked me again, and so I said, yes, of course, I have a ride home. But if I don't, which I knew that was a very small, you know, percentage, like of maybe I don't have a ride home, I could walk home. Now we were between houses. This house was up for sale um, and it just wasn't going. Like the market was not hot (laughs) like it is today. Um, I think this home, I've checked Zillow, it's like two million, like it's crazy, right? How the prices have gone gone up, but it wasn't selling back in 1996. So we were living at um, a home in Bothell. We were just house sitting for these folks that um, were taking like a six month road trip with their kids. So I couldn't, you know, I needed a ride to that house, but I was like, I could walk home. It was like maybe a 15-minute walk to my old home. Um, so, um, but I, you know, I, so I suggested this, but then I didn't think about it for the rest of the night. Remember, this was before cell phones. <laughs> I would go way, way back. Um, and I just didn't have any idea that things had tipped sideways until I dropped my, my, my parents' friends dropped me off. And then I listened to all the messages that were left on the answering machine for me. I was, I was really confused. Um, they were asking me where I was. Kelly, where are you? What do you, wh- you know, why aren't you home? Um, then my mom called from her new job. She was a in- nighttime in-home nurse, um, and this was new for her. It was part of the divorce. Like, she was needing to establish herself um, so that, you know, she could contribute to the income now. Um, and so um, my confusion turned to anger at her when she said my dad was looking for me. Um, She told him I'd been walking the streets alone, so he responded by driving around the neighborhood looking for me. Now, it was Kirkland, Washington. (laughs) It was pretty safe, but my dad's an ER doctor, right, and so he's seen all sorts of victims come in, and um, that was what was filling his mind, and that was making him more and more wound up. So I should have known something was wrong when my dad got to the house. Uh, Katie quickly ran past me as I walked towards my dad trying to explain what happened. Um, but he was not in a state to hear it. He was beyond angry. And when I said that I refused to go back with him to the clinic where he had a bed in his office, um, he just became, he became extremely violent and began screaming. Um, at one point he had my arms pinned to the floor and he was yelling in my face, you conned your mom. And crying, like I told him about the party. I mean, we had like an egg drop contest and volleyball games and a scavenger hunt. I mean, it was a five-year-old's deluxe birthday really. (laughs) Um, I remember the chime, um, I remember the doorbell rang um, as he was in the midst of like holding me down. And the chime like pulled my dad out of this daze (laughs) And I remember my sister went to grab the answer the door, but there was no one there. And so, I've always imagined an angel was doing ding-dong ditch. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thankful for it. Um, Because my dad stopped, and he left. Um, I had a goose egg on my head, bruises on my arm, rug burns on my face. um, But he was gone. And I, I remember holding that in for about 24 hours. I didn't tell my mom. Um, but that day, we actually went to a church picnic, and I just saw all the kids playing with their dads, <laughs> and I just—it just it just really uh, it was a stark contrast to what I'd experienced the night before. Um, so eventually, so I told her later that day. And that <laughs> meant that that evening was the last time I saw my dad until April of 1996, so about It happened in July, so, you know, six, seven months later when my sister and I testified to these events in a courtroom. Um, My dad was found guilty by a jury of his peers um, and a judge issued a no contact order. So I didn't actually have another conversation with my dad until after the towers fell. Um, My dad, my dad's arrogance was on full display during the trial. And I just want to say a little bit about his backstory. He was—he grew up in an extremely abusive home. His father, his name was Harry A. Bryant, and everybody could <laughs> guess what the A stood for. <laughs> like, he was not a nice man. Um, he was extremely abusive to my dad's older sister um, when she was 12, pulling her over and spanking her bare bottom in front of hired men. Like. Um, and she was the scapegoat, so my dad, or so my grandpa's temper would often just flare, like little flares over her. But when she left, because she left as soon as she was legally <laughs> could legally do so, um, my dad was the next scapegoat, and my grandpa would call him dummy. Would just um, nothing was ever good enough. Um, so I say that because my dad did not see the abuse that he inflicted on me the same as the same abuse he received as a child. Um, and I think that was part of the, the problem. Um, so he tried to convince the jury that I was a person of bad character. Um, and uh, he lost his temper in the courtroom, he fired his attorney upon sentencing, he blamed everyone except himself for what happened. Um, he was in a really dark place. Um, and in that time he lost his family, his medical practice, um, went bankrupt a, a couple years later. And, um, but, you know, we've reconnected since then. I know he learned, um, a few things about, um, anger management from his (laughs) court-ordered anger management sessions, um, and, uh, and I think that, um, though it was a really ugly thing, um, and it's, at times, I wonder if I was just, you know, a pawn in all of it, um, I think God used it to keep me separated from my dad. And and as much as I wanted to be with my dad, he was not the kind of role model I needed in my life back then. Um, So a verse that um, has always meant a lot to me, and um, it's Matthew 6, 27 through 29. Which of you, by being anxious, can add one moment to his life? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. Neither do they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not dressed like one of these. I kind of love how snarky it is. <laughs> um, like, come on, people. Like, you know, flowers don't matter. Of course you matter. Um, but it was, uh, it, was, it was healing to my soul because as a child who felt invisible, this verse helped me feel seen and that I mattered and that my story mattered. And, um, and I think... Um, God was able to take me into his fold at that point. Um, I became d- deeply connected with my youth group, and my brother came back from college reborn. I mean, seriously reborn. Like, going and having conversations with people he hurt in high school reborn. <laughs> like, he was very, very, um, just filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with um, redemption, and um, just wanted that for everybody. Um, he deeply invested in my Christian journey. Um, he became a youth leader at our church, and I just leaned on him really heavily um, during all of these years. So this is he and I. I do not know what canyon that is, um, but we would go on mission trips uh, in these big white vans um, down to, like, Arizona and Colorado and stuff. So at one point we stopped, and, and I don't think you can tell, but my hair, are t- my hair is totally in cornrows. Um, so my mom needed me and resented me at the same time I remember John telling her at one point that I wasn't evil like it had to be said (laughs) um, when John left to go to Multnomah Bible College the following year I just uh, felt really alone and not, not abandoned because it wasn't his responsibility to necessarily be there with me but there was a real void Um, that he left behind. Um, He was my defender when my mom would start digging at me and trying to cause a fight. Um, It would be years, like years, before I had the self-awareness I needed to break that cycle. If I got mad, she was the victim no matter what, because, um, no matter what the argument was about, because children obey your parents was the only verse sincerely quoted in our house. (laughs) So I try not to do that to my kids. (laughs) I found escapes through mission trips, youth events, getting my driver's license. That's me. (laughs) After the cornrows came out. (laughs) Um, Behind me is this blue screen. I was on the Muppet team (laughs) for our missions trip, so it all fit. It was was glorious. um I remember walking to the DMV on my 16th birthday because I didn't want to be beholden to my mom for rides just any like one more second um and around that same time I began dating a guy named Doug (laughs) um I met him in my high school pottery class we were both the worst the worst students (laughs) um we (laughs) we had to build these clocks I think he still has his he was a big baseball buff, and he had, like, I think he carved all of the logos from, the, from every single baseball team on his clock. Yeah. Mine was this orange and black monstrosity. It was awful. <laughs> um, so he was waiting in the wings for me pretty much all that summer. Um, he had it pretty bad. I told this to Trey last night. He would send me letters while I was on these mission trips that he <laughs> dribbled his cologne on. <laughs> Yeah, but it was all pretty innocent, we played backyard baseball, he mowed our lawn, Um, he drove me around in his light blue Ford F-150, and uh, I remember when he asked me if he could kiss me that summer, um, I said no, (laughs) felt no compulsion, like, nah, uh, this is fine. (laughs) Um, This was at the height of the purity movement. (laughs) So I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> these things. Um, leave room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, bachelor till the rapture. We had like this whole group of guys that like swore <laughs> this was there. They weren't, you know, they weren't. Girls were not crawling over themselves to get to these guys. So like <laughs> declaring this wasn't entirely necessary. Um, but I found that shirt. I. What does it say? It says, um, I give my word to stop at third. <laughs> 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 I was dying. Uh, <laughs> um, I remember John telling me nothing good happens after midnight and I was instantly curious. Uh, so what does happen after midnight? <laughs> um, he didn't think I should date Doug unless I would marry him I thought self-selecting to wait until I was 16 to date was good enough, Uh, but suddenly dating at all, um, if it wasn't a proper courtship, made me feel disloyal to my brother and like I was choosing this slippery slope. Um, It overshadowed a relationship I believe would have remained simple and sweet without all that pressure. And I remember trying to guide the conversation towards like creating a a dating standard and Doug was just like oblivious, (laughs) like, (laughs) I mean, he was just, like, it was just out of is- innocence and naivete and, you know, um, and I think people who have ha- had had bad experience just trying to speak into what was going on and it didn't necessarily help. It actually seemed to apply more pressure than it needed. Um, when my relationship with Doug uh, became more than friends, my brother withdrew himself and his guidance from me um, and that was really hard and confusing. Um, and I would like to say he also had gone to Multnomah at that point, and so his, he's one of those folks, we even talked about it this last Friday, that he, when he's in a place, he's focused very much on what's in front of him. And so he didn't realize or even think about the void he'd left or that I would want to continue him being a mentor in my life. Um, but he wasn't there, and there really was nobody I could turn to. Um, so Doug was a really good friend to me. He joined my youth group and continued attending, like, long after I had left for college. Um, I spent most of our relationship reminding myself that he was a rental. I don't know if you remember that. They're all on rent. They're not yours and not mine to keep. But then a comically horrible, ridiculous thing happened. His mom snooped in my Bible. Um, so Doug showed up to go jogging at 5.30 in the morning, because that is what we did. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do it a little aside. One time we went jogging, and um, KISS 106 was like the radio station in town. And we saw them. They were, it was a very cold morning. They were parked by the pier. And we saw them. We we kept jogging, but then we stopped on our way back. And they were like, hey, would you guys jump into the lake for $106? (laughs) We're like, a piece? Sure! <laughs> so I remember walking out on the dock and there's frost, <laughs> like this thick. And we did it. We jumped into the lake. <laughs> we both got sick. <laughs> horribly, Horrible flus, but we got our $106. <laughs> and that was good when you were in high school. Oh, but this morning, he could barely hold back tears. Um, he could barely get out these words. Um, his mom had found a list where I had written cheating and break up with Doug. And I immediately knew what she was referring to. Our youth pastor had told us to write down anything we thought might be separating us from God. So um, that day I looked at another student's paper during a math quiz. So I wrote down cheating. And then as I often did as a litmus test, I asked God if I needed to break up with Doug to remain close to him. Obviously, it did not look good on paper. <laughs> um, but something changed in me after seeing Doug's hurt. I didn't want to cause him that kind of pain again. So I stopped holding our relationship loosely. I stopped asking God if I should break up with Doug now or how about now. <laughs> we dated. And I stopped trying to hold us up to some standard I could barely measure. We started kissing. No, we hadn't till then. We tried so hard to set boundaries, um, but we both experienced a lack of parental involvement, and I found, like, I had no one to turn to when we did mess up. Um, I always ran into the problem of trying to live my life and parent myself at the same time. Again, honestly, it usually worked for me, um, but not when it came to this. Uh, Finally, sometime the following spring, I called my brother and said I needed help. I knew we were messing with fire and it was time to stop before we did something we really regretted. I remember talking to Doug a few days later. Um, My brother had called him and chewed him out, Um, but Doug said God prepared him by giving him two homers that day. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a boy. (laughs) Um, our lives were pretty enmeshed at that point, um, though I'd been the one to call Yahtzee, I had this idea that we'd come back together, our relationship downshifted, and we'd be good to go, and it did not work out that way. We were eventually able to talk it all out, but we never got back together. Um, I think God did honor our commitment to purity. I remember our last postmortem. a quick storm showed up, but rather than running to his truck, we waited it out and a beautiful rainbow showed up in the clouds. And it felt like that sealed our, this, that chapter on our relationship. And I, was, I started really experiencing some healing. Um, um, and you know, I could pivot away from thinking that we were just gonna be able to, to continue on. Um, and that relationship was really pivotal for me. Um, even though we put our purity over our own desires, I didn't feel any sense of victory. I didn't feel, I felt shame, I felt isolated, and those feelings carried with me into my next relationship. And it made me really fearful of calling Yahtzee again. So after high school, I followed my brother to Multnomah Bible College. If it's Bible you want, then you want Multnomah. (laughs) Um, I went there, I mean, I was following my brother, I was following family. Um, I also wanted to give an answer for the hope that I had. I really did think I'd get answers. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I got a lot more questions. Um, but uh, my brother was married by that point. Uh, Ring by spring is the, other, is the school's other motto. <laughs> um, and I honestly intended to just go for a year. I just wanted to dig into the Bible and then, you know, pursue teaching or writing, you know, something else. Um, but that year turned into two. I played on the school's volleyball team. I was second team all around. Can I just say that for five foot three girl <laughs> who never played the front row <laughs> and was only diving on the ground? That was that was. I was told that was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and I just loved being part of a team. Um, and I felt like school was just this extended Christian summer camp, and I was there for it. Um, things slowly changed over the course of the year with my brother. Um, at first, he and Lisa were so excited I was there. They helped me pick all my classes. They'd have me over for tacos. <laughs> um, but by the time spring break rolled around, I began feeling some tension. I wasn't invited over unless I asked. Um, and then my brother kind of pulled me aside and asked, um, told me, or asked me not to hug him in public. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Don't, like, people know that we're siblings, and he was just like, I want to be above board, and if somebody sees us, and I was like, but that's their problem, like, you know, but you can't force somebody to hug you, (laughs) so, like, that happened, Um, possibly he was in, so we, we called it the Multnomah bubble, where you just were so part of that culture that you kind of forgot what it was like living outside of that, and he'd been there for three years at that point. So, um, but the clincher for me, the thing that really separated us um, was um, I stayed in marri- their married student housing apartment while they were gone on spring break. They were visiting Lisa's family in California. Um, so I stayed there for like five or six days alone. Um, And each day I'd walk to Wendy's at the end of the street and for three dollars I could have a frosty burger and fries (laughs) meal of champions right Um, and I'd honestly I'd carry a little steak knife in my pocket (laughs) Um, even in daylight because the street had a reputation Um, in fact so I, I I'll go into this a little later but I worked at Multnomah for a while and I lived in a house that was pretty close and each day after work, I'd call my mom. I'd have this little, like, small amount of time. We could check in. Um, and I would, you know, I went down. Th- there was a park, and you'd cross the street, 82nd Street. And I I mean, I'd be on 82nd, I don't know, for maybe, I don't know, two or three minutes. I didn't realize this, but girls walking that street with cell phones to their ears, that was a signal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would have guys follow me in their cars, like, on to 81st, where my house was. I remember one time having to run into a garage, because I wasn't very nice to these guys. I would, like, flip them off, so they'd be kind of mad at me. But, like, that that street, that was that street's reputation. So, um, so I wanted to be there when John and Lisa got home from their trip, and I missed that daylight window of mine, so I asked John if he'd take me to Wendy's, and he said no. And when I pushed back, and I was like, It gets a couple minutes away, just in a car. He was like, Kelly, I can't leave Lisa alone in the house. I was just like, I've been in the house alone all week. Like, Lisa was too valuable to leave alone for a few minutes. I mean, what I heard loud and clear was, Kelly, you don't matter. And it broke us. (laughs) Like, I was done. He didn't, he just didn't understand. And I didn't have it in me to try to explain. And I just wanna say my brother and I are close now, um, and he had no idea at the time how much his reaction that day impacted me. Um, And he really regrets how like not doing a simple favor turned into like severing ties, Um, because that severed our ties for like four years. Um, So at that point, I had no relationship with my dad. My mom and sister only called when they needed me for something. Um, And now my brother revealed to me, in my opinion, just how important I was to him. So, um, and when that last tide of family lifted, I just felt orphaned. Um, I felt alone, and I found myself in need of someone to care about me. So I met Nick in Hebrew cl- and Greek class, um, a Hebrew and Greek class I was auditing. Um, I was not immediately charmed by him. <laughs> Um, But his roommate was dating my friend Laura, so we started hanging out in a group. Um, I felt so alone, even in a sea of other Christians. Um, It's interesting, you know, Bible college, because the people that are going to the Bible college are kind of the cream of the crop maybe in their youth group. (laughs) And so you have all of these kind of intensely devoted, earnest Christians in one place then now competing for space and hierarchy and all that stuff. So um, and I was kind of sandwiched between classes. So I did running start in high school. Um, and I, got, I graduated with a year's worth of college credits. And so I wasn't quite with my freshman class. And I wasn't quite with my so- the sophomore class. So I was kind of in this in-between space. And then you know, doing volleyball in the first part of the year meant I didn't really connect with folks as much because I was doing a lot of traveling for games and stuff. So I was pretty alone. Um, so, um, so having this group, um, was really, really valuable to me. Um, let's see. Also, I'd gone to Multnomah, and I'd signed their contract. Trey and I talked last night about what was on that contract, because I was, like, couldn't remember. Um, like, you couldn't Um, watch R-rated movies, Um, you couldn't watch TV, there was a 10 p.m. curfew, there was no new piercings, I guess if you had some already, (laughs) that was fine. Um, No alcohol, regardless of age. Um, So I'd wanted these rules because I thought it would provide some structure, parental authority for me, and uh, (laughs) no, (laughs) that was not actually how it felt. I I just chafed at the rules and felt like Multnomah made their students into a little police force. So I remember my first week there, this um, senior girl walked across the yard towards me. And I thought, oh, a friend. (laughs) We're walking up to chapel. And no, she just came over to tell me my skirt was too short. (laughs) So I mean, it wasn't all bad. But um, (laughs) another time, I got a campus for blowing milk bubbles. And that was pretty (laughs) pretty rough. Dusty, you get it. <laughs> A campus was like you had to give them an hour's worth of your time for free <laughs> because I blew milk bubbles. So um, so my new group thought the rules were pretty silly too. And while my brother seemed like gone to the Multnomah bubble, like these folks were standing outside of it. And we just watched people behave so ridiculously and even ruthlessly at times. Um, At the end of the semester, um, I needed a ride home and Nick volunteered. He drove me three and a half hours up to Seattle when his home was actually four hours south in Medford. Um, And then he emailed me all summer. Um, He started sharing his talks that he prepped um, for the youth group where he was interning. Um, I was home. I was working three jobs, babysitting, folding towels at a gym, and working as a receptionist at a legal office in downtown Bellevue. I just didn't have any fun, any fun that summer. And I felt alone, and Nick became my only lifeline to Multnomah. Uh, He invited me to go rafting with his group in Medford, and I jumped at the chance to just do one fun thing. I love river rafting, by the way. If you ever plan a river rafting trip, I'm your girl. (laughs) Um, And things heated up while we were on the trip. Um, I remember asking my friend if I should date him, and her response was, well, if you stop hanging out with him, it's like you're breaking up. So I was like, okay, well, by default, I guess we're together. <laughs> That's you know the way you want to start a, a long-lasting relationship, right? <laughs> um, so Nick's roommate and Laura actually broke up over the summer, um, but then he and I became a thing. So we were together for two years before we were married. Um, we went to London with a Multnomah trip. We, I got a job working for his brother. He he bought me over hundred roses and hu- I hung them in my dorm room. Um, he did all the work to make us happen. Like, you pursued me me pretty hard, Um, and a little aside. (laughs) Our relationship, like, just dating lasted so much longer than most relationships. So um, my friend Laura, who broke up with Nick's roommate that summer, met a guy on choir tour in November. (laughs) They got engaged in January, and they got married in June. (laughs) So stuff happened pretty fast. Um, I'd like to say they're still married, and they have four kids, and they're very happy together. But, <laughs> so it's not, that's, you know, sometimes things just work out that way, um, but, and sometimes they don't. Um, so um, we s- encountered some of the same problems I um, had in my prior relationship, but I decided it wasn't worth pulling the plug, since all of this would just lead to marriage anyways. I think there were times God tried to reach me, um, and I was so close to sharing how uncomfortable I was. Um, but Multnomah was uh, much more of a police state than a counseling (laughs) office. Um, I remember a friend of mine um, losing her scholarship because she went to the administration to try to get help and I just did not have that kind of margin. So we were married, um, happily or so I thought. (laughs) I finished up at Multnomah graduating in 2003 um, with a deepening love for English literature kind of funny, so I went to a Bible college, but that's me and my dad, and that actually isn't Multnomah's graduation. I also (laughs) got a second bachelor's at WSU, (laughs) because I'm just that person. Um, So anyways, my senior year, I took all these classes in English and um, even history, all the classes like students at Multnomah just avoided, if they possibly could, but they were taught by really excellent teachers, and um, I had this plan of going to Butler University and getting my master's. Um, but um, I decided that I wasn't quite prepared, so I went to WSU and studied literature there. Um, and got, yeah, there's, there's a lot that went into it, but it, it turned out to be pretty cool for me. <laughs> um, so we worked. We, I went to school. We planned for life where we'd both be professors someday. I even had a pipe. I <laughs> thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and occasionally I used it. <laughs> Um, we said we'd never mention the D word, in fact the song sung at our wedding was Come What May. Um, and then Nick got testicular cancer. It was two months before our second anniversary and a sort of unraveling began at that point. Um, I got accepted to Butler University and Nick did not get into Portland State. Um, but he wanted to stay in Portland even though, like, I was supposed to go to Indiana. I didn't know he was kind of withdrawing from his family, didn't know till his mom confronted me about it, um, but he was quieter. Um, oh, and with his surgery, you know, he had, he had surgery, he had, you know, the cancer removed, he didn't need chemotherapy, but he had radiation, so it was kind of this, like, ah, let's get it out, it's out, and, you know, um, and then, but, but he was dealing, I think, with some PTSD, um, and uh, his cancer was concealing some other issues. So I remember um, he didn't want to go out with me to see Harry Potter (laughs) when it was released. And um, I mean, he said he was tired and I just kind of honored that. So there was no kind of signs in our marriage that our marriage was in any trouble or at least I didn't know how to read them. I didn't know how to listen to my gut yet. And I talked myself out of like any concerns I had about his coworkers. Um, As I've grown to realize, I just don't know how to family, or I didn't know how to family back then. You know, I was in a family with a bunch of individuals that didn't support or care for each other. They didn't turn in. And um, when I look back at our marriage, I just kind of see two people side by side, you know, almost like housemates. (laughs) Um, He repeatedly said our marriage was strong. (laughs) Um, I mean, I remember him being, like, I was a server at the old spaghetti factory and I remember walking up to the table with cheesy bread and hearing him tell the table how wonderful our marriage was. Um, and he, he said it was strong enough for me to spend eight months away working on my masters in Indiana while he continued, you know, pursuing um, an inroad to PSU. Um, and I thought, you know, my parents spent time apart. like. I mean, now their marriage was over, but <laughs> people do that for medical school, for, in, you know, internships, for all those things. I remember we, bought it, we brought it to our um, rector at the time. We were going to an Anglican church, and, you know, we, they listened to us. They said, if you guys feel strong, you can do this. They gave us our, their, you know, blessing. Um, then two weeks before I was supposed to leave, um, I found out he was having an affair with his coworker. Um, and not just found out, like, they had a lover's quarrel in front of our apartment. <laughs> like, and he lied about the depth of it. He lied about wanting to end it. And I, I discovered an email a few days later, which blew everything he said out of the water. Um, in the email, Nick was apologizing to this girl for wearing his wedding ring. And it was such a 180-degree turn. <laughs> um, it was, it, like, who are you? who are you? (laughs) Who, like how, I I was just confused and devastated. Um, At that point, um, once I like had exposed that, because I I found the email, I printed it out, I showed our friends that were kind of involved. I mean, I just, I didn't want to be the one telling. I, I think part of growing up in the family, I did, I always wanted proof. So, um, once that was out, he backpedaled on his love for me, for God. He abandoned all of his friends, um, some folks he'd known since the third grade, and he turned his emotions off like they were a light switch. Um, so, and do you know what I learned? <laughs> One person cannot save a marriage. But even though I was, like, burning, burning with rage at the beginning, I began wondering if this was somehow a new beginning. I didn't want him to choose the path he was heading down, um, but any attempts to fix things um, or or even remind him that I existed uh, was like a wrecking ball. (laughs) And by the way, this is a super tame version with Betty White. (laughs) Miley Cyrus was going through her I-don't-wear-clothes stage. (laughs) Um, And one day, One day I went to go talk to him uh, to get access to a storage unit where he'd put all our stuff and he called the police on me. And talking like this, like he he completely exaggerated the incident. I just remember talking to him and he was kind of looking over my shoulder, just kind of holding me there. I had no idea any police were coming. He didn't ask me to leave. He didn't, you know, there was nothing. He was just setting me up. And so... I remember sitting outside on the cold concrete after the police had kind of escorted me outside and they were, you know, talking to him and I was sitting there sipping my tea. I remember they asked me what was in my cup because, <laughs> you know, was I drunk? I'm like, it's eight in the morning on a Saturday. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he just sat down, he sat down next to me. The officer's name was Paul. <laughs> um, and he said, that man in there is not worth this. And um, with Uh, acceptance came with his words. Like, I felt this divine ring to them. Um, I felt released. Uh, Like, the next few months were hard, but I did a free fall into God's grace, like a rocker diving off the stage into a crowd surfing. Like, I just was, like, so out of my league, so out of my depth, like, and and God was there to catch me. I filled seven journals, because I'm a writer. I wrote poetry. I started going to a new church in Portland. Like seriously the first few times, I just cried in the pew and went home. But eventually I found comfort um, and connection. I even, um, I remember going on a hiking trip with these folks. And um, like it was a three day trip. I borrowed a backpack to go hiking. I'd never really done overnight camping before, from a guy who was like six foot seven. I know how tall Tim is. So the backpack like came down to here, and I filled it. <laughs> like oh yeah, sure, I'll bring three pairs of jeans, you know. <laughs> And so <laughs> we were traveling, and I remember just like having to get out what I felt was like, okay, I should be able to care a pair, carry a pair of jeans, but, but having to give it to this other person and have them help me carry that load because it just was too much. Um, and I spoke to a guy um, while we were there, and I was telling him I was taking a memoir class on writing um, your own memoir, and so he invited me later that year to write, um, or to teach a class called Writing from Brokenness, um, and I help people write their stories. Um, we did three, se- three sessions. It was a full class. It was really, really fun. <laughs> um, so, um, but um, my divorce was finalized. <laughs> uh, January seventh, two 2005. So remember that date? <laughs> um, so um, I got a job back at Multnomah. Um, and though I hadn't loved my time as a student there, it was—I felt like it was a chance to redeem that time. <sighs> I had a really great team of folks, and um, <laughs> I even had a cat named Butters, <laughs> um, and he was like a serious comfort to me during that time. I remember I wanted to move into an apartment in Portland, but they wouldn't let me have a cat. And I was like, my brother was like, Kelly, okay, just get rid of the cat. <laughs> I was like, no, are you kidding me? It was like a son to me. <laughs> and, uh, but keeping him meant I ended up staying in a house with um, these wonderful women. Um, one of the professors at Multnomah had two houses, one called the Howe. Um, he was very much a C.S. Lewis buff. You would have loved him dusty. Um, Trey was actually Father Christmas. <laughs> During, like, when, when he would give tours of the house, and the other house was the Inkling's house, and I got, I I, I found community with these folks. Um, just I got inked. That's consider the lily. Um, it's what you did. <laughs> um, and because uh, that verse again came in handy for me. Just that God, not to be anxious. God has this. He sees me. I'm known. And so I'll finish up here because we're running out of time. Dusty said this would happen with, with this because it feels, uh, it was such a redemptive piece of my story. So on January 7th, 2007, do you remember that date? Do you remember? <laughs> I wrote this. I have been divorced for two years now. I know this marker is fading from my life. God, fill my days with new markers, new anniversaries. <sighs> so... And then later, the next day, at 2.45 in the morning, (laughs) I wrote, Well, Lord, you are one for answering prayer. (laughs) Trey proposed to me tonight, and he nailed it. (laughs) He took a day, a marker in my life, and redeemed it. You, Lord, took a day that left me shattered and broken and brought me healing. So Trey, you know, proposed... January 7th, 2007 because it was exactly six months later to 777 <laughs> which was the day we wanted to get married it was a day that I'd picked out of obscurity like years earlier I remember specifically being in a Joanne fabrics um, like uh, like uh, employee room because my friends at that time were like trying to like keep track of me and one of them worked there and so anyways I was there, and I was like 777, seven, seven. <laughs> um, and so it, it, we didn't push that date too hard, but it ended up being a new anniversary for me, and like a redeeming of that day, um, So, and then we got married. <laughs> <laughs> That's my man. <laughs> that bouquet in my hand is actually a bunch of weeds. The little flower girl brought me. <laughs> and okay, I'm just gonna also say the cake in the background. I don't know if you can tell. That's a chocolate fountain. As we were leaving the church, we we like went to the bathrooms, changed into our like our regular clothes, and you know we're taking off. That table fell. <laughs> the chocolate went everywhere. But our. Our wonderful friends did not tell us. We did not find that out for, I don't know, like a month (laughs) or so after. So, um, gosh, man, there's so much more here. You'll have to, I'm going to have to do a part two sometime. But (laughs) um, just, like, as a child, I learned to be invisible. But God always saw me. Um, He rescued me. He always steered me towards community and away from isolation Um, and I don't, uh, we could have chosen to be done with church. We could have chosen, I could have chosen to be single in that apartment. I could have, um, my life could have veered so many directions, but I really believe God had his hand, even in the circumstances, even in the stuff that was ugly, even in the stuff I wouldn't have wanted, even in the answers of no to good prayers, like wanting my dad around me, um. I think he always has had my good in mind, um, even when it hasn't seemed that way on the surface. Um, He has a way of making beauty from ashes, and I just think that's part of his charm. So, and he loves a good story. All right, thank you guys.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for your vulnerability and for sharing your story. Kind of as I was in back and praying, um, here's what I feel like we're supposed to do. Um, If you wouldn't mind going to the back, and Dave, you're already back there, um, a couple other folks. If you, um, and can I get the worship team to go ahead, and would you guys mind coming up? Um, We're going to end with a song. Um, While that's going, if you're somebody who you feel like you have some things in your life that are broken, um, some things that were just, you know, some of what Kelly's short story that she was sharing um, that echoes to you, that that's something that kind of hit you. Um, I would encourage you to go back and um, get some prayer from some of our folks that will be back there. And if you, if it's something else, if it's if it's healing, or um, you just you have a relationship that you're struggling with, or what. Whatever it is you might be facing right now, um, just as Kelly was saying, God sees you, he hears you, he knows you, he wants you, he wants to sp- spread his love all over your life. Like he wants to completely encompass you in his, in his story and draw you into his story. So um, if that's something that, like I said, it just kind of connected with you, I just encourage you to go back and get prayer while we do this last worship song and then that will be the end of our service. And next week, uh, we have my good friend, Deb Palmer, is going to be sharing with us. So I'm excited for this. It's one of my favorite months of the year where other people than me share. So. All right. Bless you guys. Thank you. And let's go into worship.
0: Feel free to stand up if you would like. never know what's going to happen in our little lives. We never know what's going to lead us into our next chapter, our next, next special date, our next anniversary, our next our next bit. Lord, thank you for Kelly and her story. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming many things in her life thank you Lord for the redemption work that you do in us as we allow as we keep our hands open to you as we really put our hopes and dreams in you as we surrender to you let us keep hopeful Let us keep hopeful. Let us keep hopeful in you. In Jesus' name, amen.